boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Binge Boys is what you're listening to. I'm Hal Rudnick, and across from me on the computer screen, Juan Harris, and we're going to talk about streaming and maybe some other nonsense. Juan! No. No other nonsense. Streaming and then, you know, life. Like, we could talk about what's the meaning of life or streaming, but that's it. Nothing in between. I don't want to mess around. Oh, but... Uh, your Dadaists out there would say that life can very well be nonsense. I don't want us to get down any of these little snake holes or whatever we get on, you know, the last few weeks. Blind we got a lot alleys. to get to. We got a lot to get to. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, but uh, no promises. <laughs> oh, goddamn. Already not off to me. Lon, it sounds like uh, your bearded face wants to just dive right into the news. We can do that, sure. I was just doing a bit, but it, it's now if we're running for it, let, let's go for it. Let's just do the news. Let's keep it slim up top, and then we can have uh, maybe a diversion in the middle. Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm going to stop <laughs> much, talking. Much like, my, much like my body type. It's a little slim <laughs> at the top, and then it gets very diverse in the body. Still uh, DTF. Uh, let's turn on the ticker and go to the news. Did it, did it, did it, did it, did it, It's funny that you say that. I literally was writing about this today. Do you know where the term DTF got coined? Who coined DTF? Well, I, maybe in a, in a movie or so. Oh, uh, Jersey Shore. It is. It is from a movie. It was popularized by the cast of Jersey Shore, but they mm-hmm. have now admitted that they got it from a movie. Name that movie. Is it from Swingers? It's super bad. Super bad. Seth yeah. Rogen actually coined the term DTF, but it didn't get popular from super bad. It got popular after the Jersey Shore kids used it. Here's a uh, question uh, for you, a trivia question. What movie popular? This is an easy one. This is a layup, Lon. What movie popularized MILF? Oh, that's American Pie. Everybody knows. There you go. That John Cho was was chin. John Cho was not in. Uh, I saw a different interview with him. He was not in the United States when American Pie came out, uh, and so he did not re- like. He knew it was you know popular, but he did yes. not realize it was a cultural juggernaut. And then he came back to the U.S. and everywhere he went, all of a sudden people would chant MILF at him. And um, be raw-dogging apple pies. And raw, well, that's not him. That's Jason Biggs. John Cho's the guy who says MILF. But the phenomenon. But the phenomenon. You kids might not remember, from the late 90s through 2004, we were all just fucking pies, constant. Raw-dogging. Just no, yeah. Why would you, well, of course you're raw-dogging it, but why would you put on a condom in order to have sex with a pie, Al? If people were going to eat the pie later, they don't <laughs> right, want- that's true. That would uh, be. Uh, I thought maybe if you were in Motley Crue and you were trying to cover up all the groupie sex you just had, and there were no burritos around to put your dick in, you would use a pie. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. From the dirt, Motley Crue. <laughs> Reference to the dirt. Uh, all right, so let's get into the news. You did your ticker sound. It's only right that we jump in. Yeah. It is Geeked Week this week. What does that mean? Nothing. My favorite week of the year, Netflix's Geeked Week. Netflix has declared this Geeked Week. They're making announcements about some things that are geeky, some things that are just things. Like they made a, a that French heist movie, Lupin. They they showed some stuff from the next season of Lupin. And it's like, is that geeky? I don't know. Maybe. Well, here's the thing. Comic-Con has become like just a bastardization right. where it's like, oh, um, a new Food Network show is uh, yeah. <laughs> like pre- premiering down there, which has nothing to do with geek culture, comic books or anything. And yeah. it, it's 
mostly about things that skew younger, things that are culty, genre-y. So we got a bunch of announcements. Uh, the main one, the thing that people are really excited about today uh, is that He-Man or that new Masters of the Universe trailer from Kevin yes. Smith's animated He-Man show. I sent it to you to watch. Mm -hmm. What did you think? Uh, it looks good. It looks my problem with He-Man. Wow, we're getting right into it. He-Man was always far superior, stronger, more powerful than Skeletor. It seems like Skeletor is never a match for He-Man. Why doesn't He-Man just decapitate Skeletor and end it already? Yeah, I mean, you're talking about, we, we are in an era now where these stories are always expected to be so, like, linear, and it's like, it's an ongoing narrative, and it's like, mm -hmm. well, why does it, yeah, He-Man just go to Castle Grayskull one day and kick Skeletor out, or kill him, or kick him out of Eternia forever, but this yeah. is from an era when our common understanding of all of these shows and stories was that they were purely episodic. It's, yes. there is no kick out Skeletor because mm -hmm. Skeletor's there and every week it resets. And so it's just like, well, now Skeletor has this thing. It's thrown the balance of power in his favor and now He-Man has to go stop him. So they're at this constant equilibrium. Like at the beginning and the end of every Masters of the Universe classic episode. Yes. They're at exactly the same level of power. And mm -hmm. everything that happens week to week is like, oh, no, now Skeletor has the advantage. We got to go get him. And, and obviously they're going to have to change that because tastes have changed. Like people aren't like that anymore. So is is there going to be uh, like a linear narrative going through? This is a weird thing because Kevin Smith, he's the driving creative force behind this show. Right. And when he first pitched it, he was very much like, uh, you know, they ended the show and there were plot threads that didn't get followed through. And we're going to pick those up and like we're going to complete the story. And, like, I'm sure he's right. Like, I'm not second-guessing Kevin Smith about geeky He-Man stuff. He would know better mm -hmm. than me. I'm sure there are plot threads. But I just don't remember that show being plot-driven at all. Like, at all. Like, I remember episodes opening, and it would be like, Oh, looks like Skeletor has the saber of Dark Mouth. We've got to go stop him. Like, it's just... There's no linger, like, what What could be left? There's Is there lore? I don't really think there's Eternia lore. Maybe uh, Manny Faces has, like, kind of a split personality. He literally has multiple faces. Well, he has multiple faces, but what about the, the brain inside of the head that those faces are attached to? They seem to operate from different minds, right? I mean, they have different, like, personalities or whatever. To remind myself. I feel like a lot of these characters changed over time, so, like, they introduced them. Mm -hmm. and it was just like a helmet but then like in season two it becomes his whole head turns around i think that's the case there okay wow like originally he just had a helmet that would turn around and shoot different stuff at you but then they were like ah let's make it crazier they're toys let's have fun with it so now he's got a whole like mayor of halloween town head that spins around and he has different personalities oh very cool what about uh our beast man and skeletor lovers Yes. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't. There's nothing else to explain there. Like, yes, they're, they're they are yeah. in love. Straight up. All right. Cool. Yeah. Uh, well, there you go. So that so we watch that. So that's coming. That that's coming soon. Uh, I don't know if we have a release date. Oh, and it looks like Shira's in there, right? 
No, that's Tila. That's Tila. She's the oh. with the wigs, the lady with the wigs. That's not Shira. Oh, the, who's Shira? Is Shira from He-Man? Shira and He-Man are from a shared fictional universe, yes. But Shira, the Princess of Power, has her own show. She's her own toy line. Right. She's. I don't believe Shira is in this, at least yet. There might be crossover. And you're telling me Tila... You saw the lady with the bird feathers and the helmet, and you thought that was Shira, but that's Tila. Tila Tequila. That's Tila voice. No, Tila's the character, but she will be voiced by Tila Tequila. By reality star, shot at love. Yeah, wow. Where has she been? She's back. Um, oh, well, man, is she dead? If we she, No, no, I don't think she Can we she look is. this she, up and make sure she's not dead? Because I don't want to make fun of her um, if she's dead. No, l- last I heard, she was just, like, way out of pocket, like, just a hot mess. Like I, She's one of those people that if you were like, oh, did you hear? Two years ago, Tila Tequila died. I'd be like, that sucks, but I understand. I, I believe you. Yeah, yeah. No, okay, we're good. We're good, Tila Tequila. Good. Very much Thank alive. Thank God. This is a Binge Boys exclusive. Tila, Tila Tequila, still alive. And we'll okay. be voicing Tila in the Masters of the Universe series for Kevin Smith. No, that Allegedly, part's not true. yes. Allegedly. Masters of the Universe, revelation. I knew there was a word that came after it. It's Masters of the Universe, revelation. And that revelation is, oh, wait, this is for seven-year-olds. <laughs> oh, I thought the revelation was that Tila Tequila is still alive. No. It's, you finish the episode and you're like... Oh, I'm wasting my life. That's I nice. had a Castle Grayskull toy when I was a kid. I loved He-Man. This is what's weird to me is that I loved He-Man more than almost any of this other nostalgia toy stuff we get. Like, I was more into He-Man than Transformers or G.I. Joe or, like, any of that stuff. I don't really remember it that well. I wish I remembered it yeah. more and this meant more to me. I think I'm too far removed now. So that was that's just one. We'll go through these really quickly. We also got some casting for this Zack Snyder Norse mythology series that's coming out. Oh. Twilight of the Gods. Uh, Shadow and Bone, that fantasy series about map making and... Oh, yeah. No, we talked about that here. Yeah. Lots of shadows, only a tiny bit of bone. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to come back for a second season. Original composer Yoko Kano, who did the music for the original anime Cowboy Bebop, yes. will also be doing the live-action Cowboy Bebop. That's new news this week. That's very cool. Uh, with uh, the aforementioned... With John Cho as Spike Spiegel, exactly. Uh, and then we got a lot of renewals and, and little tidbits and teasers for shows that are coming back. That includes Tim Robinson's Outstanding, Thank Goodness It's Coming Back, I Think You Should Leave. Oh, one of the best sketch shows in recent years. Absolutely. If you haven't watched that, please watch it. Also, I'll just sing it from the mountaintops. I love Tim Robinson's episode of Netflix's The, the characters. characters. Also gotta watch that. And also, I'm gonna one more you on this. Do it. Do one it. more thing. Detroiters on yes. Comedy Central with Tim Robinson and Sam Richardson, both from I Think You Should Leave. Yes. Phenomenal. Very funny. Completely overlooked in its day, including by me. Like, I was not hip to it when it was on. Me as well. Definitely on Paramount Plus now. Uh, check that one out. But we also got Lock and Key will be coming back. The Witcher, we got little tidbits on that. Stranger mm-hmm. Things, some new casting updates on season four of that. Uh, and then Umbrella Academy, we got all of the season three episode titles. So a lot coming out of Netflix for Geeked Week. Geeked Week, you know what? The first annual Geeked Week. May it be the first of many. Geeked Week is my favorite week of the year. That's it. Hanukkah, take a back seat. Is Hanukkah your favorite week of the year? I mean, eight days of presents. Ugh, that makes me so sad. I'm just thinking of weeks. What's another week? But I'm just saying the thought of like a little Jewish kid and Hanukkah is legit his favorite week of the year because he's going to get like... 
terrible gold foil candy and like socks. It's just like, oh, it's crushing. Cause I, that was me. I was that little kid. Yes. I mean, you got socks and pens like, uh, like for a few days. I got a real legit answer for you. The last week of school, like if you took oh, like the two yeah. days where school was ending and then that first week of vacation, that was the best week of the year. Fuck Hanukkah. I don't care about oh, that shit. I got one more. Um, the week that dad agreed to take custody of you. Oh, poor how kid. All right, moving on. Technically, that was the best three days of the year. But we'll, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll, oh, we'll great pretend. long weekend. Then dad went on the road <laughs> and uh, didn't return your calls all the time. You know, but like you, you were really, pretty, you, were, you almost got to see that ball game that one time. So that was good. That was a fun memory. Still waiting to play catch. <laughs> it's no good in for this bit. Uh, HBO Max <laughs> ordered a first season of the new reality dating show, F-Boy Island. It's that, I'm going to say, because we're on a podcast, we can say whatever we want. Yeah. Fuck Boy Island. Uh-oh. That's what they're trying to say. And is it spelled B-O-I or B-O-Y? No, it's F-Boy, F-B-O-Y, for boy isn't fuckboy spelled B-O-I? I don't want to get too deep into this on Twitter. I have yeah. posted stuff like that on Twitter, but I was informed that B-O-I with it, and some, sometimes in the LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. B-O-I has its own meaning that we really don't need to get into here. And gotcha. so non-LGBTQ people, yeah, you don't need to use boy with the I. It doesn't mean what you think. Just say B-O-I boy and move on with your life. It's a bit like I used to say marijuana, and then one time somebody was like, you know, that's somewhat, there's a complicated racial history to the term. I can't say it's definitely offensive or not. It's just easier to not say it. Just say cannabis. You can't say marijuana? Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying you can't say marijuana. I'm saying there's a complicated racial history behind it, whereas there is not for cannabis. So it's easier to just say cannabis. What about um, that stanky stank? Then I feel like you're referring to a specific strain or whatever. I'm like, oh, you know, what is what? You got a little of that OG Kush? Mm-hmm. Got a, you that, got a little headband over there? What are we talking about? What about a little Jedi, a little Jedi OG? A little, little Pineapple Express? What do you, what, uh, what do you do? A little, little purple Urkel? The, uh, for a Geeked Week, I'm going to be smoking some of that OG uh, Upside Down. <laughs> it was okay. I, we're a little, it's called the Upside Down. The in, Upside uh, Down, but I, I thought it was, with the, with the, with the buildup, I thought we were yeah, going to get a bigger up. payoff there. I, I thought you were going to go like Demogorgon or oh, I don't yeah, know. that's better. Okay, let me do it again. Yeah, take your time. Take your time. For Geeked Week, I'm going to smoke a little bit of that Witcher hybrid. Okay. Uh, Even more underwhelming. Let's move on. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to do a lock and key bump, baby. Ooh, I'm going to I'm gonna toke up on the keepers. <laughs> what is that? I don't about know what that is. murdered nun. <laughs> uh, okay, you know what? That's right. That was the true crime. That was the dead nun true crime documentary. The dead, the dead nun true crime. Also, I um, only want to smoke banger of a weed strain. I only want to smoke <laughs> strains that are named after true crime uh, docu series from yeah. now on. Yo, you got I, some of that Jinx? I need some of that hybrid Jinx. Um. Oh, I just picked up an ounce of staircase. <laughs> <laughs> Made me feel like I got attacked by an owl. All right, I don't know. Hashtag Owl Nation, hoot hoot. I'm going to be fucking gone in the dark, if you know what I mean. <laughs> HBO Max over today, first season of F-Boy Island, F-Boy Island. Now, Nikki Glaser is going to host this. It's from sure. the producers of The Bachelor and Love is Blind. Here's the, uh, let me give you the setup. Here's how the format is going to work. Three women move to a tropical island paradise resort. 
They are joined by 24 eligible dudes. And then Bachelor style, from these 24 dudes, they will each pick the dude that they like the best. But here's the twist. 12 of those dudes, when they got to the island, self-identified as like, we're nice guys. We are here looking for true love. Mm -hmm. The other 12 are like, we are fuckboys. We are not here looking for love. We're here to win a cash prize. The women yes. don't know who's who. So at the end, they it, it's revealed, did you pick a, a nice guy or a fuckboy? I just hope there's security there because that sounds like a horrific situation for these women, these poor women. Oh, my God. I mean, you know, like they, they get to be Surrounded around. by fuckboys. Well, and uh, nice guys, I'm just, and I'm nice just here guys. to win, and I'm down to clown. <laughs> <laughs> it's like being the Bachelorette, but like with a crazy, with another crazy twist. Aside from racism, in addition to racism, there's another yes. crazy twist. <laughs> um, my heart goes out to these women. <laughs> I, I hope it's. I hope at the end of the day, their fleeting reality fame is worth it. <laughs> I almost wish you were hosting this instead of Nikki Glaser, and it was just like, ladies, I'm so sorry. Once again. I'm so just, sorry you have to go through this. What is happening? Why have you agreed to this? Uh, and the only reason why I beha I'm behaving is I'm married. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you're going to be on the spinoff of this Wife Guys. Wife Guy Island. Wife it's Guys. It's going to be a good yeah. one. Just a bunch of guys being like, you know what? I would, but uh, check out the <laughs> ring, ladies. <laughs> and, just like, and just like planning the perfect anniversary party. That's the whole show. Ooh, <laughs> now you're speaking my language. Like, at the end of the show, all your wives are going to arrive and you have to plan the perfect brunch. Ooh, I hope I got it right. <laughs> or, or I'll be in the dog. Are house. these the right berries? Ah! All right. <laughs> <laughs> have, have you been around here while I've been planning? <laughs> Uh, I, that's all I know about, that's literally all I know about marriage is like, there's a lot of berry-related conflict, I think. I assume you're constantly coming to blows over your berry choices. We just had our second anniversary and, uh... <laughs> the berry anniversary. I did go kind of, you know, not exactly out of my way, but like, I was like, all right, I want to make sure I have all the ducks are in a row. So. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm down. I will audition for that reality show. Yeah, now that I've publicly identified you as a wife guy, I've really backed you into a corner. You gotta, you gotta rise to the occasion now. True. You can't, True. you can't disappoint because you, you've been called out. Oh yeah. No, I, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't let my lady down. Yeah, that's on me. Oh, uh, wow. Kenya Barris and Jonah Hill are collaborating on a comedy for Netflix. This is a, a film, not a show. Mm -hmm. They're describing it, and I wish they wouldn't, but they're describing it as a modern uh -oh. take on Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. The two oh. of them wrote the project together. Barris will direct. Jonah Hill is going to star. I just feel like that movie in particular, like so many movies are about, you know, social manners and social commentary and issues like race and family. And like, I don't know why we always go back to it's guess who's coming to dinner, which is just like, it's kind of a clunky take on the whole thing at this point. I don't know. Like you, you get what they mean. Racial politics are, are obviously, uh, here's a hot take. They're still a thing, but can we have a, yeah, a fresh take on it as opposed to the. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm fine with these two guys doing a movie that involves you know, the, the, the complexities of race in 2021. Yeah, Kenya Barris from uh, Blackish and uh, um, Grownish and uh, various. Mixed-ish and even some things that don't have ish at the end of them. Sure. He also wrote Coming to America with the number two in the middle. That was a Kenya, that was a Kenya Barris original. I felt like the people's take on that movie was way too harsh. I, felt, I thought like, 
I thought it was fine, that movie. It wasn't, I think, that it was so harsh. It was that it was so harsh for something that's so... Yeah. Such a trifle. Like, such a fun, silly, like, it, 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 unpretentious. Like, it's not trying to be anything more than a nostalgic trip back to this beloved comedy. You, you know what the problem is? Motherfuckers are out there hoping that every comedy sequel is, like, going to be the Godfather 2 of comedy yeah. sequels, and that's not how it works. The comedy sequel is always going to be underwhelming, and if you realize that intrinsically in your bones, then you can just enjoy it. Except, folks, Ghostbusters 2, the greatest comedy sequel of all time. That is a Binge Boys hot take. <laughs> that's, no, that's not true. I don't think it's the greatest of all time. I do really like Ghostbusters 2, though. And it gets a ton of shit. Like, people remember it, it being bad, even though I think it's a lot of... It's not as good as the first one. Sure. But come on, Vigo the Carpathian. That's great stuff. But, yeah, back to what you were saying. I, I agree that uh, uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner is well-worn territory. So hopefully it's a fresh take on that. Because here's the thing. Yeah, I just feel like pick another movie. I mean, how many times are we going to see a takeoff on Othello or Merchant of Venice or something when it comes yeah. to race or difference? And yeah. I guess. I mean, I doubt it's even, it can't even be as simple as Jonah Hill's dating Kenya Barris's daughter and comes over. I really hope it's not that. And they've come up with something with a few more levels to it. But we'll see. We don't know any other details other than these two who we don't think of as working together, working together on a movie for Netflix. We'll find out more over time. Yep. Uh, HBO Max renewed Hacks for a second season. Season one, the the finale is up today. It went up today. So very timely announcement. I got a little catching up to do there. But yeah, oh, obviously man. a show that we talked about here. And just got better. We we loved damn. it right away. It mm -hmm. just got better. It, it is nice. so, so good. Like, holy crap. I can't believe how tight. Um, Gene Smart uh, fan club right here. Uh, I'm here for it. So uh, that, that's nice to hear. Yeah. And it's it's not just Gene Smart. I mean, the whole, like, they really found this great whole ensemble and, and every character gets like a fun moment or seed or Christopher McDonald is fantastic as the casino owner. I mean, obviously Hannah Einbender is, is terrific. Uh, mm -hmm. And Ava, they're, they're all great. The whole cast is really, it's just exactly how to do it. Like the perfect structure, it, like all the rules, it's following all the rules. It's doing all the things that you should do, but in this way that feels fresh and vital and relevant and like, I'm blown away. I, I could talk about it all day. It's crazy. Up next, Mike Myers will play seven roles in the upcoming Netflix comedy series, The Pentaverate. This is about a secret society that has existed and steered world events since the 1300s. Sure, like the Illuminati. They're like the Illuminati. So, so Myers is going to star as a Canadian journalist who's working on breaking the story and six other characters, probably several members of this society, I would bet. Ken Jeong, uh, Keegan-Michael Key, and Debbie Mazar are also going to figure in there somewhere. Some uh, some nice casting there. Always love me some uh, Keegan-Michael Key. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds fun. Mike Myers kind of stepped back. I think it was kind of after The Love Guru, which I don't know if yes. you saw it. Uh, I have. I went to a, a like kind of a special screening of The Love Guru because my sister got free tickets to it. And I, I'm a little bit of a movie guy. And I was like, oh, I had already heard that it was supposed to be terrible. Mm -hmm. and my sister's like, let's go. I got these free tickets. And I'm like, okay. But I set my expectations so low that it wasn't as bad as I expected, but 
bad. It doesn't play great. A lot of it is the voice that he's doing. The vo- yeah, like we, kind of, the we, the culture is kind of turned against white guys doing that stuff. Yeah, he's and, like love guru, like Mike Myers by way of Fisher Stevens. Yeah, if he was just circuit. if he was just yeah. playing it like a Euro trash guy or an American or whatever, I don't mm-hmm. think it would play as grating today. Uh, here's my thing about Mike Myers, like. Y- you have to imagine, because Austin Powers is New Line, which means it's Warner Media, which means it's HBO Max. Mm-hmm. They must have come to him with a check. Like, how much is it going to take for you to come do another Austin Powers thing? Because obviously that would be huge and people would be super into it, right? I guess they came to him and said, hey, Mike, um, here's, a, here's like a blank check. Put as many zeros on it as you want. Will you do Austin Powers 4? And he looked at them and said, no, baby, no. Not going to do it. It's not, not right for my mojo, it, baby. baby. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, like, I'm not saying he should do this. I'm, I'm like, I'm like proud of him. It's like the fact that he's doing <laughs> anything else means that he already turned down Wayne's World 3 and Austin Powers 4. Like, those are obviously... Viacom wants to do Wayne's World 3 very badly. Well, he did do those uh, Uber Eats commercials for Wayne's World. Well, but, I mean, get paid. You can't you can't fault him there. I'm just saying, get like, the, the money's definitely there for Wayne's World 3 and Austin Powers 4. So the fact that he's going to do something original instead is like, oh, well, good for you, Mike Myers. He must, he must believe in this idea. So I married an axe murderer, too. I mean, I would love to see it. I don't feel like there's quite the same amount of heat. It's just like, I mean, if they were going to put four new episodes of a Wayne's World show on Paramount Plus, that would be a huge thing. They would obviously want to do that as a thing to promote it. The boys are still in the basement. I mean, look how much attention it got just for a commercial. True, true. Like, people love those guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, Last bit of news. The Good Place star Jamila Jamil, she's going to take on the role of the supervillain. I don't, is it Titania or Titania? It's probably Titania. Uh, Titania, Titania. Titania? Titania sounds like the Adult Swim version. Yeah, that sounds like you're talking about tits. Which I'm not, for the record. I'm talking about, she's like a titan. She's like a titan. She's Titania. Yeah, this sounds like this is like a, 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 you know, a feminist forward show. And uh, yeah, I think Titania would would really set us back, like giggling, like that Dan Aykroyd character on Saturday Night Live who was talking about painters. And he's like, yeah, this painting is from a guy named Titian. Titian. Do you remember that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, Jamila Jamil also on that uh, Misery Index, host of the... Host of the Misery Index That's right. with the Impractical Jokers. All of Hal's favorite jokes are impractical. Hates a practical joke. It's our podcast, man. When If, if there's ever a time to get snobby. Yes. Uh, a few years ago, I had the, the privilege to sit on a uh, panel with one of the Zucker brothers. Mm, yes. Um, David Zucker, I believe. Of Airplane and yes. Top Secret and sure. A hero, uh, uh, Naked Gun. Yeah. Um, and someone asked him what his favorite current comedy was. And he thought about it and he's like, yeah, you know what? I like those impractical jokers. Oh, boy. And I was like, really? It's just like my heart sank a little bit. But you know what? Hey, if, if anyone out there likes, you know, thinks impractical jokers is the peak of comedy for them, you know what? Live your life. Do your thing. You know what? I'm just going to shut the fuck up. If you are a fan of our podcast and you think Impractical Jokers is like the best thing in comedy, I would like to hear from you. Let us know. 
I think that's interesting. I would I would bet the Venn diagram of that is they're two circles. They don't overlap. I mean, yeah, there might be a sliver. There might be a sliver. I don't think so. We don't have that big of a listenership that there's definitely an impractical Joker fan out there. Uh, TBD. Uh, hit him up at Lons. If that's you, at Lons on Twitter, I'd love to hear from you. That's it. That's all I got for news. Oh, okay. Uh, there, <laughs> there, there you have it. Jolt you out of your stupor. You have to take the reins uh, for a J- Jamila Jamil uh, and She-Hulk. Lon, uh, coming up, we are going to talk about the first episode of Loki on Disney+. Plus. The fuck out of shit. So it just dropped the other night and we watched it. I'm, I'm glad we got to uh, talk about it currently, like just so soon after it dropped on our show. Uh, no, no uh, not too much lag time here. Yeah. I had to wait up like half the night. I'm watching these Disney shows like burning the midnight oil to keep up with Disney Plus. Oh yeah. I read a thing once that it was like, they want it to be the same date. Like they don't want it to be like 9 p.m. in LA, but it's midnight in the East Coast that it's a different date mm. in Europe. They just want to be able to say like, June 9th everywhere. So that's why they start in LA and then go around the world. So it's, a, it's it's midnight here. Gotcha. But fuck you. Like, just put two dates on it, but I get to go to bed at a reasonable hour. Yeah. Jeez, Disney Plus. Tired. Uh, you are messing with middle-aged men's bedtimes here. Yeah, like, I gotta, listen, I have to stay up for Loki to do my podcast, but I get very sleepy. Ooh. Won't someone gear these international billion-dollar franchises around me and my personal schedule, Hal? Is that so much to ask? I, I think I think it's a small ask. I think it's a small ask. So anyway, I did. I watched it. I'll I'll be I'll be awakened to the midnight hours. I liked it a lot. I think it's a lot of fun. I I think um it's weird that it's only six episodes because more than the Ooh. other Marvel shows, it feels very much like they're sliding into like a nice neat procedural format. Like mm-hmm. I could totally see Loki having like twenty two episodes per season. Detective Loki. Yeah, like Owen Wilson is like the chief, and then he and a you know Hunter B. 15 are going out stopping time crimes and then they come back and you got the no-nonsense judge and you got like it, it just seems like it's such a dick wolf kind of like law and order time cop kind of premise that only six episodes is like oh you could spin this thing and keep going yeah you're right the world building absolutely set this up also only six episodes but there seems like it's such a vast expanse of this force that makes sure the timelines uh, stay consistent. Yeah, this is the first time too, like, and I've probably voiced this on this show before. My big complaint with WandaVision and with Falcon and Winter Soldier was we're constantly looking back. It's like, um... I'm so sad about Vision. I'm so sad about Steve being gone. And what am I going to do with the shield and all the Thanos stuff? And it was just like, we spent two shows like looking back, back, back at all the stuff that we'd already seen. And then this to me feels like the first time where they're really like, okay, but look at this place. Like, these guys could have stopped Thanos, no problem. Like, he would like he, he would be nothing to them. Like, Thanos wouldn't have any more power in this building than Loki. They've got a drawer full of Infinity Stones. Like, yep. uh, so, I mean, this t- for the, feels like the first time where it's like, well, now we're, we're seeing a power that's beyond gods and superheroes. Like, we've moved into... The fabric of the universe. Yeah, that, we've uh, moved it, into a, a level that the other Marvel characters, even the most powerful ones can't really conceive of. Right. The But there was a lot of looking back. I mean, a huge portion of the episode was 
looking back on Loki's life. Well, I mean, they, they're really in a bit of a bind because the lead character in this show is actually not the version of the character we know and love. He's one from right after we first met him in the past. So they had to do that so 2012 Loki could figure out what 2021 Loki knows. I feel like they did their best. Like, from now on, it's just going to be like, he's Loki, shut the fuck up. Like, Yeah, I loved Owen Wilson. I mean, uh, he, he's just, he's really fun as this character and um, just just enjoyable as timing. And, uh, I mean, it's nice to see the familiar face. And, like, Owen Wilson doing Owen Wilson things is just a good time in this world. But here's one thing that bothers me. Like, speaking of, you know, we're, we're already spoiling it a little bit, but... Uh, not too much, but as they're watching these clips from Loki's life and his past, it's just weird to me that this agency can have this footage. How do they get life? How do they get actual life footage? It's magic. I mean, they're messing around with like time and space. Like if you could open a portal to like any point in the universe at any time in history, that's way more impressive than like pulling up file footage of a thing a guy said. I mean, I get what you're saying. Like, there's no camera. So, like, who yeah. was recording Loki? But, like, I don't know. It's like defending your life, you know? Like, it's the same It's the same defending your life tech we saw in their afterlife town. I can't believe that the life DVR is the one thing that blew your Like, nothing in this show makes any kind of real practical sense. I feel like I've just seen that in the movie. Who animated Miss Minutes? Like, who, what? Like, what? They must have hired uh, an above-ground animation company. <laughs> they found a motion graphics guy? All right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, I enjoyed seeing a couple of familiar faces in there. Eugene Cordero. Sure. Uh, Most people know him from The Mandalorian. He was a krill farmer in The Mandalorian. He was a krill farmer. He was also, he worked with Tom Hiddleston before in on uh, Kong Skull Island. Was, oh, that's um, right. Yes, he's also in there, yeah. Uh, he, he was a soldier in Kong Skull Island. But see, here's, here's another thing I feel like they're setting up. There's going to be some kind of twist with the nature of Owen Wilson and Gugu Mbatha-Raw. That's my guess. Mm -hmm. Because everyone else at the TVA, they're like mostly automatons like they don't know what a fish is and yeah. Eugene Cordero is like I sit all day my entire life has been behind a desk they're like semi-sentient like work worker drones yes but Owen Wilson seems to know things and have a backstory and be a person mm -hmm. so I feel like we're gonna get more information about like who he is like where he comes from those two are nice foils to each other as well because Gugu Mbatha-Raw was just like you know badass didn't take any shit yeah but I feel like we're gonna find out that like Owen Wilson he's like from Asgard or something like there's a there's there's something hmm. There's uh, some TBD. Oh, that's just a prediction. I don't know anything. I'm just theorizing. Uh, did you spot comedy's Josh Fadum in there as well? No, but I don't. I don't really know who that is. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, comedian Josh Fadum, uh, the the guy that they vaporized. Oh, right. Yes, the Goldman Sachs. His dad works for Goldman Sachs or whatever. Yes. Anyway, Loki. Lots of world building. Uh, I'm not like over the moon about it. Thought it was fun. I'm enjoying it. I'm looking forward to it. Obviously, I have to watch the whole thing. It's my job. There are rules. Oh, yeah. I'll be watching uh, the, right along with you, Lon. Outside your window, peeking in. Yeah. You'll be watching me watching it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Loki on Disney Plus and uh, the MCU. It's just, uh, it's all over your TV. <laughs> Loki.
He's in the MCU. Look out for him. Did you know that that Loki's in the MCU? That's where to find him if you need him. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk about Bo Burnham's Inside on Netflix. The fuck out of shit. So, Lon, uh, over the course of the pandemic, a lot of people did a lot of things. People made bread, etc. Bo Burnham uh, made this special, and uh, I found it to be rather enjoyable. Uh, I'm really, really divided on this one. I got to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. First thing I got to say, as somebody who has spent a long time making cheap videos in single rooms, Mm -hmm. the technical wizardry is incredible. Next level. He's he's filming this. He's performing it. He's directing it all on Mm -hmm. his own in one room. And the amount of stuff that's happening where he's playing a song and there are camera movements and there's projected stuff going on and color and light changes. And it's like the, the timing and the orchestration of it is fucking next level. It's like, I don't even know how he was doing some of it. It's incredible. Yeah, very impressive. I mean, did he have, did Industrial Light and Magic come over and set him up before he embarked? It definitely seems like he might have had help setting this whole thing up, but there are a lot of scenes you can see. He's filming wide shots. There's nobody else around, and he's got a lot of movements and things happening all at once. No, and like the cameras are uh, punching in and pulling out on him as well. That's what I mean, and he's he's picking them up, and then he's putting them Mm -hmm. down, and it's it's all coordinated. Anyway. That's very impressive. I'm not I'm not knocking it on any technical level. Yeah. But, but uh, I don't know. I think a lot of what I'm responding to is the, the commentary around it, too, where instead of yeah. just being like, these are some fun comedy songs and I liked it and I appreciated where, you know, what was going mm-hmm. on. It's being taken as like this statement about the pandemic or about quarantine in general. And it feels really like, I don't know, solipsistic and kind of navel gazing to me. Like, it feels too personal to be universally applicable like that, which is fine, but I just like, I, it keeps me from appreciating it on this greater artistic level. You know what? You and I aren't that far off. I mean, I I admire it as this project um, that he completed during the pandemic and it comments on the pandemic, on him, and then it also has uh, just some straight up comedy in, the, in there. Um, I think the most successful part of this for me was the comedy songs that don't really have anything to do with the pandemic. The one about the internet, uh, there's a, just a banger in there about uh, white women's Instagram pages. Yeah, right. um, so good. Those are the high watermarks. The personal stuff I found also a little bit hit and miss just because, you know, listen, people, there's no doubt people have pain, people have, people suffer, but- I wonder how much was 100% genuine. Exactly. Yeah, it feels it feels like a performance on one level, especially because we know enough about Bo Burnham's life to begin to really question what he's showing us. Like, here's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. And I, I don't want to diminish anyone. Like, even if you are a relatively privileged person, this was a really fucking hard year. I'm not judging anyone's yes. pain or suffering. And I don't think we should try to compare experiences. Everybody had your own. Except Gal Gadot. Right. Everybody had their own like unique <laughs> custom experience of that. And that's fine. And I don't I'm not yeah. interested in it was harder for me than him or her or him. But it doesn't feel like a complete depiction of even his quarantine. It, it feels like he wants us to feel kind of bad for him. But it's like, OK, 
you don't live in this one small room all by yourself. You have a mm-hmm. nice house that you share with the director of Hustlers, Lorraine Scafaria. And like, mm-hmm. you weren't just spending all of your time obsessing over this video in this one room. You were also doing press for the Oscar film, Promising Young Woman, yep. throughout the year. Like, like I'm not, I'm not saying he had to include all of that stuff too, but it's like this incredibly suffocating, oh, I'm suffering so much, and oh my God, I wanted to go on a comedy tour and now I can't because there's a pandemic. It just feels like whining and like if you mix your whining with artistic filmmaking techniques and a lot of well-done comedy, I guess it doesn't seem as much like whining, but it is still kind of whining. Like he had a, you know, a, a real moment in talking about the panic attacks that he had on stage as a performer. And I can, re- as someone yeah, and again, I'm not trying to diminish that or say it's not true or whatever. Like, of course it's true. And I have no doubt that he's Yeah, said. I am not going to, uh, you know, throw aspersions at anyone's, um, you know, anxiety. I've had panic attacks, plenty of them, and I understand what that is. But it's is. not the whole story. Yeah, and I just, I'm not sure how much there is there because it does seem a little bit limited and manufactured in that way. Uh, One more example. There is that song where he's talking about problematic and he was problematic and everybody's Mm -hmm. a little problematic or whatever. Yep. But the only actual example is that he dressed up as Aladdin for Halloween one time and not even brown face. He just dressed up like Aladdin and he doesn't feel like that. Now, come on, folks. Every white straight dude has stories about problematic things they've done or said. We all do. I could sure. tell, I could fill a podcast with them. I'm not saying I'm like that anymore. Juan, we could cancel you ten times. Yeah, over. I mean, I've made a <laughs> listen. I made a very specific, purposeful attempt to stop doing problematic things, but that sure. doesn't mean I never did them. And it's like, if you want to write us, if you don't want to talk about it, great. But if you want to write a song about it, you got to bring it. You got to really confess to me some problematic things. Otherwise, why are we bothering? And it feels insincere to bring it up and then be like, well, I dressed up like Aladdin one time, so everybody's problematic. Like, that's not. Did he mention that in the song, the yeah, Aladdin he, thing? Okay. Yes, he brings that up. And then because that's the joke is that he goes, OK, yes, I didn't I didn't paint my face, but I still feel kind of conflicted about it. Right. He didn't pull a, a, a full Justin Trudeau. <laughs> no, it's funny and it's a joke song. And like, I get yeah. it. I, I, I don't know. It bugged me on one level, even as I admired it and appreciated it on many other levels. OK. Everything we say about shows, uh, unless we're like listing the cast, is more or less subjective. No, and, I'm right uh, about I feel everything. Like, I, mean, <laughs> um, I feel like this especially, because you you and I are taking a little bit of a, like a jaded point of view here, like, okay, professional, successful filmmaker and comedian, how much is manufactured for the camera? But I'm not saying all of it is, and I feel like a lot of it is rooted in his truth. But I mean, my criticism isn't really whether it's real or not. It's the way mm-hmm. that it feels as presented. Yes. This if yes. inside the special, forget about Bo Burnham's own life. If the special felt more balanced, it felt like here's a thing I made on a day where I wasn't feeling quite so horrible. And then to contrast that, here's a thing I made on a day that was real grim and I didn't have a lot of hope. That gives you, to me... That's more what the pandemic was really all about. And all of us who Mm -hmm. got through it had to have that kind of survival strategy just to get through it. And it didn't feel like that. The special feels like a descent into this incredible darkness. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I don't I don't know if it needed to be that or if that made it the most effective. And that did make me kind of start to go. 
is this true? Yeah, is this his true place? Yeah. I never think that during comedy specials. I rarely mm-hmm. am I watching a comedy special and I'm like, is this true? I just accept it. So to make to give me that pause, to make me stop in the middle of your special and be like, is this true? It's not a good sign, I don't think. Yeah. Like I'm not watching Chris Rock Tambourine and like, is this true? I'm like, no, I'm sure that's true. I wondered that to a degree myself. Also, I will, uh, just if we're talking about things that we didn't quite care for, I felt like it ended five times. Yeah, it's got it's got that, it's a little self-important. It's a little bit like, I'm gonna make the great statement of the pandemic. And like, you know, there was a lot of that during the pandemic of like, what's gonna be the first great pandemic piece of art? It's like, that's the wrong way to think about it. Yes. Well, you have to be removed from something to make art about it anyway. And a lot of the time, the piece of work that comes to represent that moment in history or that feeling isn't even directly about that thing. It's about something else, but it makes us reflect on that thing that happened in its own time, you know? Like, what do we remember the best about the Victorian era or what speaks to us about this period of history or that? Like, they didn't know in the at the time. You got to figure that out much later. So I always feel like these conversations about like, well, when are we going to get a great piece of pandemic art? It's like, maybe we already did or maybe it won't come out until 2027, you know? Like, sure. But that aside, I it might sound like we're, we're uh, kind of like, you know, bashing this thing a little bit, but I, I think it's very well done and it's finely crafted. The guy's obviously a funny guy and he's a good songwriter and he's extraordinary at like conceiving and conceptualizing and creating like YouTube style videos, like a virtuoso at that. Yes, and using the room so it's at the same time just immense and claustrophobic, uh, just like maximizing this space. It's it's pretty cool. And I, I would call uh, this an achievement, you know. Uh, it's entertaining at times, very funny and well done. And uh, yeah, w- absolutely, I'd say it's worth checking out. There you go. Bo Burnham's Inside on Netflix. It's a pandemic comedy special. Uh, there it is. You, you subscribe to Netflix, watch it if you want, or or don't if you don't want to. Get off my case. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're Peacock exclusive. We don't. I don't yeah. want to judge you. Uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, you, you and I also watched uh, some of Lysi's story on Apple TV. <laughs> I feel like they say it. They say it eight different ways in the show. I thought it was Lisi's story at first, but then I think they do say Lysi's story. Oh, because the character's name Lisa. Uh, Lisa. Yes, Julianne Moore's character. Julianne Moore's name is Lisa. So this is a Stephen King. This is new Stephen King. He wrote the book in 2006, but then he wrote this adaptation of his own book. Pretty stellar cast. Uh, Julianne Moore, Clive Owen, Jennifer Jason Lee, and- um, Joan oh, Allen. Joan Allen, yes. Uh, the great Joan Allen. The 90s was uh, Joan Allen's time. Uh, Her time Ice to Storm. shine. <laughs> oh, I'm a huge Ang Lee Ice Storm fan. Anyway, uh, this is a very odd story. That <laughs> oh my I'm, God. Odd I, doesn't I, even begin. Again, odd doesn't begin to sum this up. How much of it is out? Is Are only two episodes out? Yeah, there's only two episodes out. I believe it's going to be eight, I want to say. Yeah, so I've watched uh, two episodes, and I- I'll be honest with you, Alon. <laughs> I don't feel completely connected uh, to what's going on. Well, and how I could don't you? <laughs> know. 
but I also, I don't know if I want to stay on this journey. I mean, listen, I'm not going to be like, no, this is fantastic television. This is yeah. fucking bananas. Like, I watched these two episodes and I immediately texted you that we need to talk about this because this is one of the craziest things I have ever seen on television. Have you seen the OA? Yeah. 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 So, you know, the OA was kind of cool, but there was also a lot of gobbledygook. <laughs> um, the OA had a threat. There was there was a yes. backbone to it, which was like, this is about what happens after you die. These are people who've had experiences with coming close to death and then have come back to life. And there's a place, there's something that happens to you that creates these unique experiences and patterns in your brain mm -hmm. when you come close to death. You know, you see... Uh, Shore Agdashalu in like a the room full of stars or whatever. Uh, yes. <laughs> at least there's that. So there's all kinds of crazy shit happening in that show. But you can always go back to like, well, this is all happening to them because of the near death. It's coming back from the line between life and death and those, all those experiments or whatever. Right. I could not tell you what the backbone of Lizy's Lizy's story is. Like water. It's <laughs> like. Uh, Oh, we get, there's, there's three sisters. Water. There's three sisters. Yes. Julianne Moore, mm -hmm. Jennifer Jason Lee, and Joan Allen. Julianne Moore was married to Clive Owen, who was a very famous Stephen King-esque novelist. Wrote a ton of books, a lot of them horror, some fantasy, and a lot of them involved like alternate realities or whatever. Now, mm -hmm. he's dead. I Do we know why? We've gotten a lot of possible explanations, but they all seem to kind of be on top of one another. There was definitely a point at which he was shot by a crazed fan, but mm -hmm. he seems to have survived that and then died of something else, but I couldn't quite pin that down for you. But he's definitely dead now. Now that he's dead, Julianne Moore is starting to have memories about things he told her when he was still alive about mm -hmm. this fantasy world with healing water, but also a lot of other stuff, tree monsters and whatever, that he knows how to visit. And he Peter Pan style lost boys. Yeah. And like when she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. He always says, sure you do. Or like, you know, you know. And here's like at one point, it seems like they're suggesting that it's actually she's the one as a child who discovered this fantasy world and then told him about it. But I don't know. There seem to be back and forth on that, too. There's also Joan Allen is totally like in and out of this catatonic state. And she needs maybe to go to this place or water from this place to cure her. There is also something having to do with violently vomiting water into other people's mouths. Did you see that? Yes, yes. Clive Owen violently vomiting water into Joan Allen's mouth. This is all like, oh, I didn't even get to. There's a different crazed fan of the dead yes. novelist who's stalking and coming after Julianne Moore because he wants all of these, like all of the, the late author's writings and diaries and documents or whatever. Right. There's like a concurrent A story and B story. Now, which one is the A story and which one is the B story kind of shifts back and forth. We're seeing things totally achronologically. Like one scene will be Clive Owen's alive and then the next scene he's dead and then the next scene they're like, it's it's so hard to get your mind around what's happening when and and what. Yeah, we, we jump around for, like there's a moment where it's like, oh, Clive Owen has sold his first book and then we jump to oh, he's dead and uh, Julianne Moore is on the phone with someone trying to get his old manuscripts. And then literally like a flashback to the three sisters as little girls. And like, it's, mm -hmm. it's fucking, folks, it's fucking 
crazy, but I didn't hate it. Like, I found myself pretty compelled. It looks really, it's directed by Pablo Lorraine, the guy who did Jackie with, uh, with Natalie Portman. Like, it looks fantastic. This, mm-hmm. this alternate reality world is beautifully rendered. And Yeah, absolutely. It was like really some gorgeous production design of this of, of this ship and yeah. then this like amphitheater that that all these yeah with like shrouded ghostly wraith figures and just imagine like this gorgeous rendering of like purgatory this gray black but then with punches of color yeah it's a it's beautiful and all of these actors are fantastic and they're all oh my God. really going for it like yeah uh, Jennifer Jason Lee Julianne Moore like the, uh, great actors and they're they're really like dedicating themselves to this bonkers material that obviously they felt like they were following and knew how to play. Like I, I would just, if I got this script, I'd be like, what, what how, am I? Am I angry? Am I sad? Am I ha-? like, what? it's so crazy. It's two hours. I'm into it. And I don't know what the fuck is going on. You know, it's a Stephen King thing. So maybe like having his name and then Apple TV, I think famously just backs up dump trucks full of money to people's homes. Well, I mean, look, if you're like, we got the guy who directed Jackie, Stephen King is going to adapt his own book. Yeah. Julianne Moore wants to be in it. Like, who's not going to green like that? Like, Tim Cook would be a fool not to make that show. It's just Mm -hmm. like, holy shit, this is way crazier than I thought it was going to be. I'm enjoying it. Like, I'm definitely going to keep watching and, like, wait, and maybe by the end I'll be like, oh, that's what it was about. But um, it's wild. <laughs> it's it's worth checking out the weirdness to see if you want to stay on board. I with think it or not. everybody needs to see Clive Owen violently vomiting water into Joan Allen's mouth. If you if you don't feel like you want to see that, I'm questioning all of your choices. Lisey's story or Lisey's story? <laughs> I don't know. I think that's another. I was going to say that too. I think that might be a thing because we could see in flashbacks she used to work at. Oh, she was like a server at a, a hostess. At a, yeah. yeah, and she's wearing a name tag that says Lisa, but nobody ever calls her Lisa in the show. They only call her Lisey or Lisey. Is is it a doppelganger thing? Is it a double? If I had a friend named Le- Lisa. I would, Lisi seem like Lisa. Lisi, Lisi seems like a Lisi maybe, but I've never yeah. heard that before. Hmm. And wouldn't lease isn't lease what you say short for Lisa? I mean, you know, nicknames can be whatever. You nicknames know? can be whatever. If there's a moral to this story, I think that's what it is. Thank you, Lonald. <laughs> Lisi's story on Apple TV. Check it out if you're so inclined. There's. A classic film that recently came to HBO Max, and as a big Stanley Kubrick fan who'd only seen bits and pieces before, maybe I saw it in my 20s. Oh, I didn't realize you'd never seen this. Yeah, I wanted to watch uh, Barry Lyndon, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I did get a little daunted when I saw it was uh, three hours and four minutes, and truth be told, we were going to watch it for last week's show, and um, I was unable to finish it. Uh, you chickened out. Yeah. I did chicken out, mm-hmm. but I finished it, and uh, yeah, I enjoyed the hell out of it. I didn't, you know, it's so dryly funny. The The narration in Barry Lyndon, it's, it is just the driest, ribald humor. But I wonder, it, it, it's kind of the thing where, is it your cup of tea or isn't? It, your cup of tea. And I think you'll find out fairly soon um, into it. But uh, I, I just found it to be uh, a delightful romp. 
uh, for three hours. And Ryan O'Neill was yeah. uh, just this um, uh, this scamp that uh, <laughs> it's kind of like he he knows not what he do, and he um, he kind of gets his just desserts after a lifetime of just floating by. This is just like it's an epic period, like romance adventure movie. You know, there's yes. duels and war and relationships and betrayals and it, all of the things you associate with that genre. Yes. But usually when we see those kinds of movies, we're like in the midst of the drama. Like we we love the main character. We hate the villain. We're rooting for them. You know, like we're in it. Like if you fall in love, oh, I want you to fall in love with that person. And then if they're betrayal, it's like, ooh, I hate that person. And Kubrick just refuses to play that game. Like Barry Lyndon, it's almost like what it would be like to watch humanity from God's perspective. Mm -hmm. If you, you could almost imagine like the movie camera of most directors would be like right there in the midst of the action. And then Kubrick is like, I'm going to go a hundred yards away and set up my camera and just take all of this in like humanity's foibles and ups and downs. And, and it's, it's a movie. So you're following all of it as a story. Like it makes sense. Uh -huh. And one thing follows another. And it's, it's not abstract in that way, but you're not caught up in the drama of everybody's lives. It's more just like, Oh well, that's gonna happen. You know, like you're you're taking this like there is a little bit of what fools these mortals be. Exactly. It, it's it's like watching all of these pieces move around on the board and you're engaged in what's going on, but you're ultimately not emotionally caught up in it. And that's like by design. Like the like most of the time it would be like a high melodrama, like gone with the wind, where you're like, that bastard Rex, you know, like it, mm -hmm. and this is just like, ah, and then he, and you kind of only could do this movie that way because it's very hard to just root for Barry Lyndon in any kind of conventional sense because he's a, he's a terrible guy. Yeah, but he, he starts off as a, a, a likable character, like you feel for him, but then he turns and then. He's, yeah, he's like a charming cad, but he's a, yes. he's, yes, he's a cad. He's not a, he's, yeah. Initially, I think he starts out with a, a little bit more innocence, but then he becomes a little bit more uh, savvy and uh, aware of how the world works. And, right, and and the world, the world kind of forces him to become colder and more calculating. Yes, and he becomes this uh, a bit of a manipulator, and you you kind of want to root for him, but then you don't, and it is complex in that way. And he keeps falling into situations. It's totally not like this, but it's um, there was something just kind of Forrest Gumpy about this guy, the way he, All like right. totally, completely different characters, but the way he falls into right place at right time situations until- Yeah, it's interesting you would say that too, that you picked up on that thread because Barry Lyndon kind of resulted from Kubrick always really wanted to make a Napoleon movie. Like he mm -hmm. had uh, room in his, in his estate to this day, there was just like, it's like filled floor to ceiling with just Napoleon stuff that he collected and books and writings. And he uh -huh. was obsessed by this idea and he never got to make his big epic Napoleon movie. But this was kind of his compromise because it's set, it's sort of a guy taking in the Napoleonic era in Europe, even though it's not about Napoleon. And that, that so that gives it that little bit of Forrest Gump flavor that it's really taking in this whole moment in history through the perspective of this one guy who just happens to be there for a lot of stuff. The cinematography is absolutely beautiful. And you were saying that you saw it on the big screen. I have seen this, yes, projected at the Egyptian uh, with an audience, and it's very cool. Oh, that's uh, yeah, that sounds wonderful. Uh, 
because it, it's it's gorgeous to look at. I mean, it's really well crafted. And Stanley Kubrick, he was just uh, you know a, a master craftsman when it comes to filmmaking. Yeah, it's it's the natural light that 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 there's there's scenes that are yeah. legitimately lit with candlelight in this, which was very. It's been done other times, many times, but it was pretty groundbreaking when when Kubrick did it in this film. And just the way it it immerses you in this world and on this journey with uh, this sometimes lovable, just sometimes uh, just off-putting cad played by Ryan O'Neill. And yeah. With the velveteen touch of a dandy fop. Yes. <laughs> uh, Forrest Gump meets, uh, what, Downton Abbey? No, not quite, but. Uh, the Duelists, you ever seen The Duelists? No. Oh my God, next recommendation. Folks, okay. that was Ridley Scott's uh, first big big break, first film. Not, uh-huh. I don't know if it was his first film, but it was like his first like international, like, oh, hey, this guy's someone to watch. Uh, Harvey Keitel, David Carradine, they are also soldiers during the Napoleonic era. They have this like long-term, years-long rivalry. Uh, gotcha. Amazing movie and uh, awesome battle scenes and recreation of that period. Uh, the Duelists, everybody. If you haven't seen it, it's uh, new to HBO Max, Barry Lyndon, and it, it just reinforces the fact that Stanley Kubrick was not just a master filmmaker, but a master of so many genres, science fiction, war movies, um, horror, and Barry Lyndon, like, historical epic. Comedy, noiry, noiry heist thrillers. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, the, the Killing, one there of my go. favorite very there. early- any genre that you put in the hands of Stanley Kubrick, he aces it. It's insane. So uh, Barry Lyndon, absolutely worth uh, checking out. If Lon, if I had to put you on the spot, could could you pick a favorite Stanley Kubrick film? If you're talking about like, what do I think is like the best made? It might be this one. If you're talking mm-hmm. about like, what I think was the most groundbreaking, it was probably 2001. If you're talking yeah. about like, which one I've watched the most, it's like my personal favorite, it's probably The Shining. But like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to say because I think that they all speak to different, a lot of them speak to different things that I love about movies. Um, and he does have one of the most sort of diverse and interesting and dynamic careers. I also have to say, I'm a huge fan of Eyes Wide Shut, which I think is underappreciated versus the rest of his catalog. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I- I'm, you know, I just mentioned The Killing. That uh, The Killing was a groundbreaking film, especially when you look at the time construction uh, that, you know, if you look at Pulp Fiction and you look at The Killing, is like, oh, Stanley Kubrick was doing some pretty cool shit back in the late 50s. Also, a lot of filmmakers have borrowed that that ending where the money goes flying. Oh, yeah. Like, that's, like, uh-huh. that's a common panic room is a good recent example. Absolutely. They redo the uh, killing. Uh, Sterling Hayden did not get uh, get away with uh, his suitcase full of money. Um, oh, we just spoiled it. Uh, you know what? Forget what we just said about the killing and watch it <laughs> fresh. Um, Barry Lyndon, HBO Max. Yeah, do yourself a favor, dive in. Um, and you can watch it in a couple of sittings if you don't want to sit through the whole thing because I- Grow up. Listen, what are you doing with your life so you can't spend three hours watching Barry Lyndon? Plop yourself down, get something to eat, and uh, watch some Barry Lyndon. Oh, oh, I got a baby. Like, make the baby watch Barry Lyndon. Stop whining. There you go. (laughs) Start them early. Barry Lyndon on HBO Max. Lon, we've talked about plenty of stuff. I think we're going to stop right there. Thank you. Uh, I want to thank all of Owl Nation. Hashtag Owl Nation. Hoot hoot. There's a little owl that lives inside all of us. I want to thank Starburns Audio. 
Travis Reeves, our trusty producer. Thank you, Travis. Jason Kay with our opening music. Lon Harris, tell them one more time where they can find you. Find me on Twitter at L-O-N-S. And you can also read my newsletter. It's five days a week. It's about this very topic, streaming TV and what I think of it and what's going on. That's at inside.com slash streaming. It's totally free. There you go. I mean, how do you do better than free? You don't. That's it. I mean, I could pay you to read it, but I'm not gonna. Maybe like you have like a special, like one, you'll pay one person. Definitely not. No, not worth even that. No, not worth it. You can find me at Hal Rudnick, H-A-L-R-U-D-N-I-C-K on Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Hal Rudnick. And if you are so inclined, we would love it if you would go to iTunes and give us a handsome five-star rating. If you want to give us less, you know what? Do something else. Go eat a sandwich instead. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. We did it. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys, bitch in the fuck out of shit.